podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hi and welcome to the Tour Report from Secret Golf and it's another major week, the second major of 2021. We're off to Kiowa Island in South Carolina for the PGA Championship. We have got so much to talk about today with this course and with this field. But first, well, I'm joined by Steve Elkington and... You, I mean, this is our favorite major because this is your major. You are the 95 PGA champion. And already I can see the Wanamaker trophy proudly displayed in the background. <laughs> yes, indeed, Diane. Thank you. Good morning. Yeah, the, the PGA championship is, yes, I won the, won the PGA, but there's a reason that I like the PGA so much. It represents the club pros. And I basically was raised by club pros. Alex Mercer was the pro at Royal Sydney in Australia. I was growing up when I came to America. Jackie Burke, who's like my surrogate father, he's a club pro. So I've been around a club pro almost every day of my life. And to win the PGA was an enormous feat for me. And, you know, Diane, whenever I go to a club, whenever, even here I am, 26 years later after my PGA victory, I'm still always known as the PGA champion. And that is cool. I mean, we always talk about how these guys get their debut win on the PGA Tour. And of course, it's a huge deal for them. And it's almost like solidifying their place on the PGA Tour. So many people call it life changing. But to win a major championship really is just a life changing event. And your testament to that. I think so. I mean, people forget which course that you won on. They may forget it was a PGA or, you know, the U S open, but they never forget that you won a major. And, um, you know, there's all this talk about, is there four, is there three, is there eight or whatever? No, there's four, the masters, the PGA, the U S open and the open in your country. And those are the four. And if you win one of those, you're lucky enough to never be forgotten is what I say that there's a term they say, Diane, you can't, it can't be taken away from you, but that's that's just talk. They, you'll never be forgotten when you win a major. And the great thing for you is you won yours at Riviera Country Club, and it's still a course that we see every single year for the Genesis Invitational on the PGA Tour. So that's special, and all those memories come back for us really twice a year when we talk about that tournament and then talking about the PGA. But talk us through that day a little bit, you know, especially the Sunday. What was your mindset before you teed off on Sunday morning? And what do you always remember about that final round? Well, I had a, you know, I was, I had a hot round of, I'll start at the end. I had a 64 on Sunday to win the tournament. I beat a, a beat a, a Scot, a Scotsman, your countryman in the final, in, in a, in a playoff, uh, Colin Montgomery, lucky enough to do that. He birdied the last three holes to tie me. So it was a very intense finish at Riviera that year. But, you know, my daughter was only little. She was maybe six months old. I remember uh, my wife, uh, Annie, and my daughter, Annie and Lisa were up on the putting green at Riviera that sits right on top of the, uh, 18th green Peter Jacobson was holding my daughter Annie because Lisa was so nervous she was shaking so much she couldn't hold the baby still so all those things out of everything that um, happened to me that day I still remember my daughter and my wife and what it all meant to everyone around me I was staying with uh, a great friend of mine uh, Gary McCord my long life long life friend gave me the trophy on the 18th green. It was just the best day ever for me uh, and my family at Riviera that year in 95. 
Amazing. And uh, we'll put up that picture, obviously, because that picture of Annie with the trophy and she's crying her eyes out. <laughs> and I just love it's it when we get It's so good. <laughs> I love it. Okay, then. Well, we're going to talk about Kiowa Island, the ocean course to kick off the show today, because this course is going to be a beast. Um, I've seen it referred to, they talk about the beauty and the beast because it's gorgeous. I mean, you can see it behind me there. You have the Atlantic Ocean on one side, the marsh on the other. It's a peat dye design with help from his wife, Alice. And well, we're going to talk about some of the trademarks, but I think the first one is you look at the length of this course, 7,876 yards, the longest course to ever host a major. You know, the interesting thing about the 7,800 yards, Diane, when I and people that have watched our show know that I was a co-designer with Pete Dye at New Orleans. And the interesting thing, and I've never said this before, but um, Pete tried to get me to design an 8,000-yard course at New Orleans, and I said no. I said I will not be a part of an 8,000-yard course. And I said to him, Later on, I said, why did you why did you want 8,000? He goes, well, I'm thinking 20, yard, 20 years ahead, 15, 20 yards. There's going to be guys that are hitting at 350 yards. And this was back 25 years ago. And I was thinking, he's crazy. I mean, nobody's going to be doing that. And here we are. So Pete Dye was always a visionary. He always keeps players off balance. People that have watched our shows understand what Pete Dye is trying to do. I'll be doing my draw week. I've read a lot about how Pete and built this golf course and it doesn't really have a prevailing wind. You can see the Atlantic ocean on one side, uh, swampy river on the other side. There's no real prevailing wind. So he built it like a figure eight, try to uh, get everything up a little bit. So the wind would hit it even more. And yes, Diane, this is going to be a very difficult course. Whoever wins this course, this will be the easiest course for us to handicap because the field just shrunk down to about a dozen guys probably can win this tournament because it is going to be so demanding. Every hole is crosswind, wind, greens are perched up, and let's face it, it's a major. It's going to be tough to tough to win. Well, it hosted the PGA Championship in 2012. We're going to be talking about that a lot today. That's the one that was won by Rory McIlroy. I mean, the conditions were horrendous. He beat the field by eight strokes. It was an incredible win for him. It also hosted the 1991 Ryder Cup, and it's the first time that a Ryder Cup course has ever been confirmed that wasn't even built at the time. They actually only started planting the seed for the course a year before. I mean, unbelievable. But for Pete Dye, he's talked about the fact that this was such a special project for him because he saw the land and he could really do anything he wanted with it in that there's not houses nearby. You're not constricted by anything other than the fact the Atlantic Ocean is right there. And then you have all this marshland to play with. Yeah, and Pete, you know, I'm looking at the hole right over your shoulder. I watched Rory's uh, victory on YouTube a couple of times this weekend to get a feel for what he did and how he did it on this golf course. And he putted well that last day to hold everybody off. But Diane, they've got so many hard shots to play this week. I've been talking to my close friend, Jason Duffner, who played the course the last two days. They're expecting dry conditions this week. They're expecting wind to come from three or four different directions, which is going to be, it's going to be very difficult for the players to keep adjusting, but that's, that's fine. I mean, the best players are going to come to the top. We've broken it down and we know who we think is going to do well. And we're going to share that with you. 
So there you have it, our introduction to Kiawa Island on the tour report this week for the PGA Championship. Coming up on the show today, well, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into the course. We're going to look at the main stat categories that we're going to use to base upon our, our re-ranking. We're going to re-rank the entire field. It's always, well, as you say, easy on one hand, trickier on the other, because we think there's only really a handful of guys that are going to go out there and, and compete this week. But we do have some and some dark horse names for you as well, all coming up on the show today. Well, this week it's the second major of 2021, the PGA Championship at Kiowa Island in South Carolina. And Diane Knox, and well, our 95 PGA champion is here, Steve Elkington. Elk, when I think of Kiowa Island, um, it it sounds terrifying. You know, we've obviously been doing some research into this course over the past couple of weeks. I mean, it looks like, it reminds me a lot about kind of a Scottish Lynx course in that it's a very natural creation, as we were saying before. There's not like houses on the course and Pete Dye wasn't totally restricted by everything else around him. You know, he basically had the ocean and the marsh to work with, but I mean, this is going to be such a grueling test. Yeah, and Pete Dye... Diane keeps you off balance. I've already talked to some of the players that are there right now, and they say this course is the most intimidating golf course off the tee. Yes, there's plenty of room out there to hit your ball in the fairway, but it doesn't look like there is. And also, he gives you odd angles. You'll see that in my drawings. I'll show you deliberately how he's given you these odd angles. In other words, you're here, and he wants you to hit it over there exactly where it looks terrible. And Pete Dye was so good at that. And there's a couple of holes in this course that will be featured. Of course, we'll see holes like number three, which is a drivable par four. We'll see guys going for it. Remember Rory McIlroy in 2012. There's a tree in the middle of the fairway. His ball got stuck up in the tree, finished up taking a drop, and he made four. We'll see holes like 17, Diane, will play like a par four, where remember it almost destroyed my friend Mark Calcavecchia, where he topped it in the water in the Ryder Cup finished up in tears and said he may not ever play golf again. This course has absolutely strangled guys right down to their wits end. We saw Hale Irwin playing the last hole in the Ryder Cup against the great Bernard Langer. They both finished up in tears. What's going to happen this week, Diane, if the wind comes back into these players with the last four holes, what are we going to see? And we talk about that closing stretch. I mean, this has got Pete Dye written all over it in that we have a par five, a par three, and a par four, like TBC Sawgrass, PGA West. Um, the 17th hole, you do have to carry water. It's not an island green and it's a slightly longer hole. But something that's really interesting about this course is the fact, well, there's actually more oceanfront holes on this course than any other course in the world. And it's because it's designed in the shape of a figure eight. Yes, I'm going to try to display my drawings today on a big table and show you the route into this course. In fact, Alice Dye, Pete's wife, said, why don't we raise this course up about six feet so everyone can see the uh, the ocean when they're putting and playing golf? And, of course, he, Pete did that, but that also exposed it more. And I can't tell you by looking at that uh, drawing behind or looking at that picture behind you, Diane, but there's a lot of drop-off on this course. My friend Jason... Dufton told me today, he said he doesn't think anyone that misses a lot of greens this week will fare well because it's so hard to pitch the ball from low up to high with exposed, you know, turtle back greens that are 
very difficult to, you know, get the ball to do what you want. This is a paspalum grass. We've talked on this show before. What is paspalum? That's different. Well, it's a grass that is suited on the seaside links. It likes the salty air. So let's look at it. It looks, gr- it looks great. I mean, they have it at Mayacoba, where our own Pat Perez has won before, and Pat and Kaziah. So the players will be used to the grass. But the, the main thing this week, Diane, it's all about where is the wind direction coming from and, and it's, it's going to change and how, how do they get the ball in play? Mm-hmm. Uh, Rory McIlroy in 2012 actually talked about the paspalum and he said it was very sticky so it meant that you could be more aggressive with your wedges and with your chip shots because the ball would have a little bit more hold to it um, so you know aggressive play are these guys going to have to play aggressive this week to do well well I think that's a very interesting question because when you stand on holes like the hole right behind you there, you have the water down the right and the bunk is left. Pete only gives you alleyways to hit down. And if you you have enough game and enough courage to hit it into the correct spot, you will open up the up open up the second shot. Where you get in trouble on Pete Dye courses, Diane, is when you start to get away from where he wants you to go. He has got you so boxed in, so turned around as my friend, again, I'm referring to Jason Duffner's text today, stay away from the big number yeah. here at Kiowa this week. And with those greens, as you said already, you know, they're elevated greens. So it's not going to be easy. You just can't run the ball up there. So these guys picking their spots on the green and being accurate with that approach shot, that's really going to be key. Yeah. And the winner this week, is not going to be a guy that scrambles all over the golf course. The winner this week is a guy that has really good rhythm, someone that's able to just stand on the tee and make his rhythmical swing super, super courageous. I mean, he's going to have to have Superman, you know what I mean. He's going to have, yeah, you're going to have to have Super Bowls this week to be able to hit some of these lines, Diane, because there is – I watched Rory play uh, on YouTube when he won in 12, and he putted last day. He must have made five or six eight-footers for pars. Of course, he had a big lead, but even as good as he was swinging, he still had half a dozen holes that he could have made bogey on. Okay. Right then. So the main stat categories that we're looking at this week then, um, we'll go through them. We've already said that it's... Over 7,800 yards. It's the longest major host course we've ever seen. Erin Hills, I mean, we saw Erin Hills for the US Open in 2017. It's 135 yards longer than that course. And that was the big talking point. But driving distance, we're obviously going to be looking at. Yeah. And, you know, I actually don't think driving distance is the key this week. I think it's accuracy. I mean, I was... I was lucky enough to play well in some big, giant golf courses when I was 48 at Whistling Straits. Um, Baltus Roll is another giant course. I'm not the longest hitter, probably in the top 80 on tour when I was playing, even when I was older. It's this week, to me, Diane, is in the fairway. I don't care what it is. You get it in play here. You can play this week. So to me, I'm kind of throwing out driving distance a little bit. I'm, I'm, I'm more accurate this week. 
And as you say, you know, we've done our research. We talked to Jason Duffner, who's been out there playing, but we are going to rank in as well. Greens and regulation, scrambling, <laughs> putting average and par four efficiency, 450 to 500 yards. Talk us through the importance of that step. I think this week, you know, going with what, what he's talking about with the crosswinds. See, now crosswinds are a very, very difficult, Diane, because, you know, right to left, if you're a right to left player, you can ride that wind in. Left to right, do you turn it back into it? Can you ride that? You start to look down the board, do you see great iron players like Morikawa, Hovland, Rory, JT? How are they going to be able to cope with all this? And, and to me, it's, it's a second-shot golf course here. Stay out of trouble off the tee, get it in play, but the guy who wins this tournament probably is going to be up around the top in GIR this week and makes all those six and eight footers that he needs to for pars. Okay, right. Well, we're going to get straight into our re-ranked top 10. And, the, I mean, we're going to go through this. A lot of it is, um, you know, the, the names that you would expect to be there. So it's no surprise that Rory McIlroy comes in at number one. He won the Wells Fargo at Quail Hollow a couple of weeks ago. And he won the PGA Championship here in 2012. But Elk, a couple of weeks ago, we would not have had him at number one. But the way that he played at Quail, it's the only place that he can go now. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, we had him off our board at Quail because he was working on his swing. He was a big, giant question mark of what was going on with Rory McIlroy. Not only has he answered all of our questions, but he's answered his own questions. He, he was able to come back, worked with Pete Cowan, looked to me like we talked about his swing, had that shift to the inside, looked like on the telecast he got a little straighter ball flight. Uh, yes, and Rory McIlroy... It, knows this course he won here in 12 of course but now all of a sudden all that doubt is gone he yeah. is now on top of the board nobody hits the ball better in the big wind than Rory nobody has better rhythm than Rory and that and now he's full of confidence all of a sudden and he's on a golf course that he's won before a major so yes Rory McIlroy has just flipped the switch in a month it's unreal what he's done and I think you said it perfectly there in that um you know for all of us watching, it's like he's back, but he's proven that to himself. And he told us, he talked to everyone about the fact that he was having those internal struggles where he couldn't get fired up. He didn't have any motivation. It was kind of all in his head almost. And making that change to go to Pete Cowan, he has proven to himself. So that confidence right now, an all time high, surely. Yeah, I mean, he, I think I read last week where he's so thankful that he, you know, he is back in the winner's circle. He understands now that he's sort of got his footing back into the golf history book, so to speak. And now he's sort of poised. He probably wishes he was going into the Masters to finish his Grand Slam. But yes, Diane, Rory is sitting right where he needs to be this week. And of course, when you think of Rory McIlroy, one thing stands out the most, is, which is his swing and how solid he hits the ball and these crosswinds aren't going to affect him as much. And we couldn't say that a month ago and, and it's credit to him. He's worked hard and there he is, sits on top. Okay, well, talking of that Grand Slam, this could be a momentous week for Jordan Spieth. The PGA Championship is the one major that he is missing and we have him at number two this week. Elk, 
Yeah, we when we were having our pre-production call, we went through. Okay, do you, who would you pick between JT and Spieth? Spieth. Who would you pick between Spieth and DJ? Spieth. And he just kept rising further and further up our list. So he is solidly at number two. Yes, and we already know at this golf course there is room off the tee. He proved to us he won in Texas on a really narrow golf course. So I'm not that worried about his driving anymore. But Jordan Spieth is what's inside of him. He's like a halo and like a Lanny Watkins. He's the biggest fighter and he knows what's at stake this week. He had a good enough week last week after having COVID uh, to finish well in the Byron Nelson where he was kind of the host at AT&T. But who, who, who is more equipped to play a, a kind of a nasty, tricky, need a bunch of patience, have to hit a bunch of good shots than Jordan Spieth? Best putter out there in the field, best up and down game guy. He's probably as good an iron player as anyone in the field. It's a tee ball that's been kind of letting him down. So Jordan Spieth knows exactly what's at stake this week, and this is a very important week for him. Okay. There's nothing else we can really say about him. Um, but we will move on to our number three guy who succeeded around a Pete Dye course earlier this year. And that is Justin Thomas, the player's champion. Now, he is a former PGA champion. He won it at Quail Hollow. I think the question mark that we've seen from Justin Thomas over tournaments of late is the putting. You know, a couple of weeks ago, he was bottom of the field when it came to using the flat stick. Has that concern started to fade for him or is it something that we're going to have to watch out for this week? I saw enough good play at uh, Charlotte from at Wells Fargo from JT to solidify his position here at number three. JT is not scared of the big moment. He's a PGA champion. He understands Pete Dye golf courses. And what I mean by that is he just won at the Players' Championship. You have to have a certain mindset to play these golf courses. This is hard, and this is tricky, and it's nasty, and it, you've got to hit the ball where you don't want to. Yeah. And Justin Thomas understands all that, and he is a lifer. I've told you this on the show before. What's a lifer? He's going to be out there for 30 years, and he also wants a Grand Slam, even though this could make two PGAs. But Justin Thomas will fight like nobody's business, and I like him in this slot this week. Mm-hmm. Okay, then. Coming in at number four is another guy with confidence. He won the Valspar a few weeks ago for his debut win on the PGA Tour. He took that confidence into the AT&T Biden Nelson with that incredible birdie on 18 to take solo second place. And Sam Burns is one of the biggest hitters on the tour right now. There's so many positives when it comes to his game. I am going to ride Sam Burns for another week, Diane. He hits it almost perfectly straight off the tee. He had that tournament well in his grasp yesterday, got ran over by Lee with a shot an enormously low round yesterday. Great for that kid. But Sam Burns is an emerging star on our tour. Very straight hitter, very powerful. Uh, This course is going to suit well for him, mainly because he is still riding that wave, Diane. He had a week off after Innisbrook. Almost won last week, so watch out. I'm still riding the wave up on Burns. Yeah, and he, you, you, know, you watch him play, and yesterday there was, of course, that like two-hour weather delay, and he came back, and what a great end to his round. But it's like he hardly puts a foot wrong. He's, he's so consistently good. He's just solid. That's the word that comes to mind when I watch him play right now. 
I was a bit worried when he lost like five 36-hole leads, but I think I told you on the show that he had a three or four-shot lead in L.A. with eight holes to go and lost that lead. I was so impressed when he put himself right back in the lead again. Some guys will shy away. They'll take their foot off the accelerator, not Burns. Burns keeps going. He doesn't mind, you know, showing, you know, exposing himself to all the pressure. And he did it at Innisbrook. He fought off Keegan Bradley, who's a major winner, and it was right there. Um, no, I like Burns a lot. He, uh, you know, he's got he's got all the pedigree. He was a great junior player, college player, got on tour, been near the lead a ton of times. Now he's a winner, and now here he is coming into a major with form. For sure. And then coming in at number five, another young guy who's definitely proven his place on the PGA Tour uh, he's one of the world's best. We have Victor Hovland at number five this week. Hovland is just sort of um, slightly out of the limelight, but we all know he's finished like third, second, third, the last three events he's played. Mm-hmm. And how's he do that? He hits it long and straight, but he's a really good iron player. And he's he's sort of fixed his chipping. He was an average chipper, and he's just becoming a tour player. And Hovland, look, he's better than these other guys. I saw him play at uh, at Charlotte. He was in the pad in the final day with Jason Duffner, who had a terrible day that day. But Duffner uh, texted me and said, "This is the real deal. This guy, he he knows exactly what's going on out here, and uh, watch out." So Hovland is playing very well. Like I said, there's only a dozen guys can win this tournament and he's one of them. Yeah, that was the big thing for him was his chipping and he finished third at the Valspar. I think that was really the week when all of his hard work on his chipping paid off and he even talked about it afterwards saying that that had been the flaw and for the first time he felt really confident with it. His scrambling stat doesn't reflect the fact that he's got so much better over the past couple of weeks and it's going to be a part of the game that could be important this week. Very important. There's going to be greens that are missed. There's going to be crosswind. Diane, when I think of, I, I already said this once, but I'm going to say it again. I'm not big on the super speed guys this week. We're going to talk about a few of them coming up here. I want those rhythmical swings and these crosswinds. When you play holes with crosswinds, think Rory McIlroy's tempo. That's what I'm thinking. Okay. And that's why he's number one. Rory at the top, followed by Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, Sam Burns and Victor Hovland. Um, Elk, I asked you if you had played this course before. And what did you tell me? No, I haven't. I've been there, but I haven't played that course. And I'd like to go play it casually, maybe from a couple of tees up than the 7,800. <laughs> yeah, this week, um, as we said, 7,876 yards, um, the longest major course that we have ever seen. So expect some fireworks. I mean, it looks pretty. <laughs> We've got that to look forward to. Right, so we're on to our number six in our re-ranked top 10. And well, this is a guy who... He turns it on at majors. He's another one that's really not scared of the big chorus and the big moment. Xander Shoffley. Yeah, Shoffley, when I look at the board and I say, who has the potential, who has what it takes to win on this type of golf course, Shoffley has the rhythm. He's a great striker of the ball. Yes, he, it's been a while since he's won, but he's been close enough this year. Uh, Kepka knocked him off there at the Phoenix tournament. But Alexander Shoffley hits the draw, shouldn't have too much 
trouble figuring out this golf course, a young guy, but he's very consistent, very good, solid swinger, always there, grinds it out, just better than other guys, Diane. That's why he is on the board where he is. He is always there, but there's been a few instances of late where the Sunday causes him problems and he's had so many opportunities to win and he hasn't. You know, Sunday, something will happen and he'll fall away. Do you think that Xander could really go out there and win his first major this week? Well, he was only a whisker away from having a green jacket, Diane, when he pulled that shot at 16 into the lake. Uh, He has hooked the ball a little bit under pressure. Uh, What about that, I don't know, but whenever you're th- talking about guys that are almost winning tournaments, that tells me a lot. And, you know, Shoffley, he's one of the best players we have out on tour. He is going to come across the finish line again with a trophy, and it could be this week. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he won the tour championship. I mean, it's not like he hasn't won bigger. This is much bigger than that, though. It is, it is. Okay, well, the reigning PGA champion has to feature in our top 10, and we have Colin Morikawa at number seven. What do you make of Morikawa's game right now? And um, in comparison, I guess, to that big coming out moment for him at uh, TPC Harding Park. Well, I remember, Diane, when I was the defending champion uh, of the PGA, and I went to Valhalla in 1996, and I was paired with Jack Nicholas the first two days in the tournament. And it was the greatest honor of my life to play the first two days with Jack Nicholas in 96. It was towards the end of his career. But Morikawa is a guy that rises to the occasion. And I think, again, I'm going with Morikawa because of his consistency ball striking wise. I've got to have guys that knock it down the middle with their eyes closed almost. Morikawa is one of our best iron players we have on the tour and he putts good. I think I look down this board and I, I, I try to find the weaknesses in other players and I can't find too much there with Morikawa. I like him a lot this week. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, second in greens and regulation. He's third on the tour for par four efficiency. His big number, I mean, driving distance, 125. But I think people are going to get really focused on that this week. They're going to see this huge course and think, oh, well, it's got to be the big hitters. But, you know, you've explained it's not necessarily the case. I want to hit it solid. I'm looking, I'm doing my drawings. I'm in the middle of doing my drawings right now. And I'm looking at these holes and there's serpent shaped holes and there's holes that look like ketchup bottles that narrow up. And I'm thinking to myself, if I was the longest hitter on tour, where would I hit it on this course? And if I did miss it, Oh my God, I can't go there. So I, I think, uh, the fairways is going to be the absolute premium this week, Diane, because it's going to be windy and they're predicting the course will stay dry. So it's going to play a lot shorter than 7,800. Okay. And there's going to be winds come from two or three different directions. So it's going to be very interesting, but I'm looking for guys with rhythm, good tempo. They'll make the adjustments, play the wind, mm-hmm. get the balls on the green, stay in contention. Okay. Coming in at number eight is someone who's, always regarded as one of the greatest players in the world. I mean, that's just a fact. But of late, it's it's almost like he's gone a little bit flat. And we are putting John Ram in at number eight, but there was a lot of discussion over this too. Yeah, Ram, in my mind, is sinking a little bit. And it could be just where he is in his life with a, a new child. I mean, for me, it propelled me to play without any kind of 
worry or anything. And it, it helped me. But for mm-hmm. John, it seems as though he's in a little bit of a slump, maybe. Hasn't won for a while. Um, hasn't won a major. This is not ideally, you would say, is this ideally the best course for him? Short swing, fast tempo, crosswinds. Not for me. Yeah, okay. He's, he's dropping for me a little bit. Okay. Um, and as you said, we do have another couple of big names that we're going to talk about. And that's that was a huge determining factor in the fact that we don't have them in our top 10 this week. But I always think it's interesting, um, the gym that I go to, people know that I work in golf and um, someone came up to me the other day and they were like, what about John Ram? <laughs> I was like, well, what about John Ram? And it was after he missed the cut at the Wales Fargo and they said, oh, you know, he's a new dad. Guys never play well after they've ha- after their wives had a baby I'm like well he has a whole new life to adjust to is that because he's doing all his own cooking (laughs) what are you trying to say I mean maybe what are you trying to say (laughs) I guess and you can speak for this better than anyone in that you just have to get used to a whole new life everything everything is different including your routine when you travel for tournaments practice everything well, if you're a tour player, Diane, you you should know this. You have a brother that's one. 99% of the world revolves around you when you're a tour <laughs> player. You meaning me. And when you have a child, he just gave up 98% of his all about me and has to give it to a child. So I don't know if that's going on with John Rahm. He's a tremendous player, and I know there's tons of trophies coming up for him. But Rahm has been off a little bit and he's a guy that you can't put your finger on and go, yes, he's going to, this is going to be perfect for him because he's not on form. All right then. Well, coming in at number nine is someone who had a great finish at the AT&T Byron Nelson, finished in a tie for third. He was kind of nowhere to be seen on Saturday. And then on Sunday, final round of eight under to shoot himself all the way up. It was incredible play from Daniel Berger. Yes, I've always liked Berger a lot, and he is a dangerous guy when he's playing well. The reason I've moved him, we have moved him into number nine slot this week is because of that hot round he had yesterday. That tells me that he's hitting the ball almost perfect for him. He's got a tremendous swing action. Yes, a little bit unorthodox, but amazing, amazing win player. And if Berger's on form... This could be a breakthrough week for him, which we know he's on form. So that's why he's where he is in the top 10. He's always known as a premium ball striker on the PGA Tour. How important is ball flight going to be this week? I mean, you talk about playing in the wind. Are we looking at guys with low trajectory or does that really not have a huge amount to do with it? Oh, no, you're going to have to you're going to have to do both. I actually talked to some of our players and asked them, will this course suit a certain style of uh, ball flight? I was thinking Shoffley, right to left, thinking Morikawa, left to right. How would Jack Nicholas play with left to right? And he said, no. He said, there's so many holes because of this figure eight design. We're talking about the routing, which we'll talk more about when I do my drawings. They've exposed, I think, more holes to the ocean than any course in the world. There's 10 holes that are exposed to this ocean. So they're going to have to do a little bit of both. And anytime you can keep the ball down, Diane, with a little bit of sting on it, not floating it up in the air, then you're going to be better off. And Berger has that 
every time. So definitely deserves his place in our top 10. Coming in at number nine and then completing the top 10. Again, this was a tough one for us. How can you not put the world number one in the top 10 for a major? So Dustin Johnson has his place there, but right now there seems to be a little bit of a question mark. He withdrew from the Byron Nelson last week. I think we were all really excited to see where his game was at the week before the second major of the year. We didn't get to see it. So that question mark is still over DJ. Yeah, he, as you say, withdrew last week with a little bit of knee soreness. Was the knee soreness from swimming and doing backflips in the Bahamas? Good luck to him being over there with his family and having a great time. But yes, Dustin Johnson, we talked about this earlier, uh, before the show, was won the FedEx Cup, was just focused for maybe six, seven, eight months. And now all of a sudden, a couple of withdrawals, knee injury, miscut at the Masters, Coming back here to South Carolina, has he got that out of his system? Does he has he is he is he blown it out and had a bit of a break? And is he focused coming back? I don't know, but to me, Diane, it's still still slipping down the list a little bit with DJ. He's not going up for sure. Yeah, I mean, last three finishes: forty eighth, thirteenth, and a missed cut. And he hasn't been playing a lot. We haven't seen him make a lot of appearances that miss cut being the masters so we've only seen him play twice since then and it's hot i mean it's a as you say this is a huge course it's a big stage there's only a handful of guys that can go out there and win this pga championship but he just he's dj you have to put him up there and when you yes and when you have a hard course like this one day one it becomes the most important day of all, Diane, because if you get off to a good start, you've you've got you you're in the tournament. If you get off to a three or four over, you may you may be gone. You may not, you can't get back into the tournament. So day one is going to be very crucial this week for everyone. But Dustin Johnson, uh, we have to put him in the top ten. He's the number one player in the world. But I don't think anyone that listens to this show will doubt us for saying that he has slipped a little bit mm -hmm. 18 to 1 the guy with the highest odds in our top 10 is daniel berger at 30 to 1 oh no sam burns actually 55 to 1 that's amazing actually so the full top 10 rory mcelroy jordan spieth justin thomas sam burns victor hovland xander shoffley colin morikawa john ram daniel berger and dustin johnson okay elk one name that's really missing from the top 10. And again, people are just, uh, they might be slightly distracted by the fact this is such a long course and then correlate that to the longest hitter on tour and what he's doing. We haven't mentioned Bryson DeChambeau yet. What do you think about Bryson playing Kiowa Island? Well, anybody that watches our show knows how much we have Bryson in our top three but this week, Diane, with all that speed, all that extra power in crosswinds, one degree off on a crosswind club face angle will expose his ball to 50 yards of offline hit. And I'm just going on the math like he would. And I am fading Bryson this week because that speed is too much. And people may say, Elk, you're crazy. He's the longest hitter. It's the longest course. It's got to be the perfect fit. Yeah, but not so fast when we're going crosswinds. 
And I'm just saying, I don't think it's, he's going to be able to figure it out this week. Mm-hmm. Okay. We've seen him, he can be offline when there's not a lot of wind. And as you say, that wind coming from so many different directions, that's going to be a challenge. What about every other part of his game, though? So when it comes to scrambling and his putting, I mean, he's an incredible putter. The numbers right now in his stats don't really show that. It's hard for me to sit here and... Um, qualify myself as saying he's not going to do well this week because he's such a good player. But on this course, it's so narrow and it's so penal just off. Could Bryson, you know, pull back and hit 14 fairways a day? I don't think so. I don't think in the crosswind, as hard as he hits it, as much speed as he has, as much, you know, one degree off as I've talked about so far, I don't think that's suited for this type of golf course. Now, he putts good. He pitches the ball good, you know, but it's just so much speed there. I don't like it this week. Sorry. Yeah. It is. Shoot me. Yeah, no, more speed, bigger margin for error for sure. And that's not going to fare well around this place. The, the next name that we have to mention is Brooks Kepka, two-time PGA champion. Um, his odds are 45 to 1. I've seen a lot of people saying, oh, at that price, there's no way in the world that we can miss out putting some money on Kepka because he does like to turn up at these huge events. He loves a big golf course. I mean, we've talked about Erin Hills. That's where he won the US Open. Um, Brooks Kepka, what do you think about him? Bearing in mind, we saw him back in action at the Byron Nelson and he missed the cut. Well, we never really got the story of actually what happened to his knee anyway. We saw him five weeks ago try to play the Masters when he was reading putts, bending down on one leg and his poor knee was straight and he couldn't do anything. And then four and a half, five weeks later, he came back out and played last week and missed the cut. No, he's not ready to play the hardest course in America in crosswinds. I don't care who you are. Maybe the U.S. Open by June when things get back to normal for him. But no, he's not ready, Diane. And this is just going to be too big a task for him this week. If it was just a dip in form, then you would be like, right, okay, wait a minute. But he loves to turn it on at majors and difficult golf courses, big stages. But it's not just a dip in form. We know that there's been injuries. We know there's been surgeries. There's been rehabilitation. And it's taken a long time. And he's continuing to work through that. Well, just ask yourself, put him in your mind. Will you bet on him against uh, Rory? No. Will you? Will he beat Jordan this week? No. Will he beat JT? No. Will he beat – and go on down the list, and that's how we figure this out. And, you know, Brooks – when Brooks plays his game, he's a power player. He likes to totally smash the ball off the tee and just looks big, looks fit, strong, smashes the ball, and that's the way he attacks golf. And he's physically not there yet, Diane, and that's half of his mojo. Maybe more. Yeah, it would be a great story. (laughs) If it happened, it would be a great story. Okay, right, well, we're going to move on. Man man comes back from surgery to win on hardest course. Just a little bit. Right, still to come, Jay Kaplan's going to be back from his travels in Hawaii. Actually, Kiowa Island sounds a little bit Hawaiian. Um, Anyway, he's going to give us dark horse picks, but you and I will go through our sizzlers next on the Tour Report. 
get in the game on the SG Tour Golf Gaming app and play four ball. It's a classic stroke play competition based on the aggregate scores of four players. Who makes your team? Well, pick four guys, one from each tier based on the current World Golf Rankings. Want a tip? You need four guys to make the cut. Get in the game on the SG Tour Golf Gaming app, available on iOS in the App Store. Well, the guys have a real test this week in the PGA Championship at Kiowa Island on the Ocean Course. Elk, we've been talking about the fact that it's a Pete and Alice die design. More oceanfront holes than any other course in the world. It's also the most difficult course in the whole of the USA. Yes, and you know, I've seen this tournament played. I watched Rory win uh, his tournament. I went and watched it on YouTube, and I've seen the Ryder Cup that was here. It honestly looks terrifying in places, particularly at the end of the golf course, Diane, when you come to 17, 225 yards. The projected win will be in off the right on Sunday coming in, so it could play anywhere as a three-wood shot across water. Bound to be some drama there, mm. but... These next three sizzlers, uh, Diane, that we're going to talk about, um, they have their own certain little skill set that we may just think the odds are worth a little try on these three. Exactly. And um, the first one, the more we talked about him today, because we talk about, you know, at least half the field, and the more we talked about him, the more we were all like, light bulb moment, of course this guy is going to be up there. And our first sizzler is Mark Leishman. We're so big on Leish anyway. He's a secret golf contributor. But Elk, tell us why we are so big on him this week for the PGA Championship. Well, the reason we're so big on Leishman, well, he did just win with Cam Smith down in, in New Orleans, and he was literally getting the ball up and down like out of a trash can. I think someone wrote me and said, wouldn't it be just good if we just put let Leishman miss every green and see what he could shoot? Because the guy is literally a freak uh, with a chipping club. But Leishman is from Warnable in Australia, mate. And Warnable is the windiest place in Australia. So this is not going to affect Leishman. He just won had a good Byron Nelson, and we we in Australia don't have any long rough around our greens. We have all, it's all shaved down. So Leishman, he said in an interview, I heard him on an interview last week, he thinks that this could be his best opportunity because of he's used to chipping the ball with all sorts of different clubs. So yes, this is a good fit for us. Well, talking about interviews, I caught up with him after that win with Cam Smith in New Orleans, and I told him what you said about him getting up and down and this is what he had to say about his chipping yeah I think around the green and, and on the greens um you know my, my oldest boy's gotten right into golf and and we just hit shots in the backyard all the time he's always wanting me to go out and have chipping comps so we do a lot of it and um you know you have to play a lot of different shots and we're trying to hook it around the house and over the edge of the house and it's just fun um so I think I'm in enjoying my golf again and that makes um you know if you do happen to put yourself in a challenge challenging position um i think you just kind of embrace it and um not worry about why you're there just worry about how you're going to get out of that position and try and make a par or birdie so um mindset has a lot to do with that you know like i walked up to that chip shot thinking of holding it 
not trying, not thinking about not chunking it in the water or, um, you know, hitting it, leaving cam too long apart. I was thinking about holding it and just happened to go in. So it was nice to to hold that when I really needed to. And um, it's been, you know, pretty good to me lately, the, the chipping and putting. Elk, that's definitely something you can relate to um, with uh, your son, Sam. But just going out there and he said that it just kind of taught him, you know, to get creative and, you know, feel the shots, have a bit more fun with it. Indeed, I have two more budding students now in my household. My wife, Lisa, and my daughter, Annie. We played a match uh, the other day. Uh, Annie and I versus Lisa and Sam and Mother's Day match. So with all the Elkingtons, I'm teaching everybody chipping and putting and swings now. <laughs> That's so good. And we know as well that uh, Leishman loves the, the big stage. He always plays well at the Masters, just came out, coming off a, a fifth place finish there. But... Um, how great would it be? I feel like that's Leishman has got major champion written all over him and it's just a matter of time as to when it's going to happen for him to say that he feels his best chances this week. Then we have to take that into consideration. Well, yes, you said it. Uh, I don't think anyone would begrudge Mark Leishman a major. He almost won at St. Andrews. Mm -hmm. uh, he's almost won at the Masters and the clock is always running, Diane, and you have to look as a player where you have an opportunity to win. And Leishman knows this, of course. He knows he's in good form. He knows his short game is excellent. He's not worried about windy conditions. He's from the windiest place in Australia. So, yes, this is a perfect fit. Okay. Uh, well, Mark Leishman should say is a uh, sixty to one, so his odds are good. Our next sizzler is fifty to one. It's a uh, a name who I don't know. I mean, you look at the way he's playing right now. He's had a second place finish, a fifth place finish before that, an eighteenth place finish. His his game is in a great place right now. He's never had that win on the PGA Tour. He came close just a couple of weeks ago. But Abraham Answer is our second sizzler this week. Nice flowing golf swing, nice rhythm. I'm talking in a little bit slower voice right now because that's what it's going to take to play well at Kiowa. You're going to, have to be even keeled. And answer, of course, just played one of the longest golf courses at Quail Hollow, finished second to Rory McElroy, very straight hitter. Would anyone be surprised if Abraham? Answer came out and started hitting fairways and greens and started putting it together at Kiowa? Of yeah. course not. The kid has got big skills. Has he won? Not yet, but he will. this could be a, a great week for Answer. And you said that that GIR stat is going to be big this week, and that's the, that's the key to his game. That is definitely the best part of his game but he's such a solid ball striker he's got distance he's got accuracy and we know that the guys are going to have to pick their spot on those perched up greens yeah it's ball strikers are going to rise to the top if there was ever a statement that cream rises it's this week particularly guys that hit the ball solid in these crosswind holes i've been saying it all show crosswinds are very difficult. If you're a right-hander, right to left's okay, but left to right is really nasty. And if you can't hit it solid, you can't judge the distance. And, and Pete Dye's got you trapped at every corner. You've got water. You've got seagrass. You've got 
Oh, you've got total holes. You've got the whole show down there. If there's anyone that is ready to celebrate a win, it's Abraham Answer too. He's got his own brand of tequila. I'm sure he's just got that waiting. We know Mark Leishman with Leishman Lager. There's a theme here. Answer with his tequila. So it'd be nice to be drinking that Kiowa Island come Sunday evening. But our third sizzler. Maybe he calls it tequila. Oh, that was so good. <laughs> So good. We didn't even rehearse that. Right, our third and final sizzler is 70 to 1. And again, um, that the tempo is something that you always talk about with this guy, Corey Connors. Everyone north of the board is going to be really happy when they see this show and hear that I've got Corey Connors as one of my sizzlers. I saw Corey Connors in Florida and I told him, I said, I really enjoyed watching you play the Masters. You had the best tempo. I watched you play 13 on that side hill lie and hit a long iron with the most beautiful rhythmical swing across that. I know how much pressure it is to hit that shot. I've stood in his shoes before. He made it look so easy. And I think that's going to work this week, Diane, because there's about a dozen of those long irons into these par fours. And I just think rhythm, Diane, and tempo is the money this week. It is what you need and, I, and he has the best of it of anyone on the tour. Okay, I'm looking at his numbers. We've already said greens and regulation is going to be premium and he's ninth on the PGA Tour. You're right, it's a pleasure to watch him. Um, especially, we watched him at the Players' Championship as well. He had, and Bay Hill the week before, he's, he has been playing really, really well and he seems to have got into a good rhythm with his game and everything else on the tour. Yep, it's just, will he be able to step into this moment? Don't know Corey Connors that well at this, but I've seen what he's done at the majors so far. You know, he wasn't scared at Augusta. This is a big, big course. And again, day one is the key, Diane. I think I think day one is a big day this week. Okay, so our three sizzlers, Mark Leishman, Abraham Answer, and Corey Connors. So Jay Kaplan's going to be here to do the Dark Horses. But Elk, before he goes, what, what are the biggest takeaways from the show that we remember heading into the PGA Championship? Every person, Diane, that's at Kiowa right now will be looking at Rory McIlroy as the clear favourite to this event. Everything keys off Rory McIlroy. He's a winner here before. He is in form. He is the most dangerous player on the tour when he's in form. And he hasn't been in form for a while. Now, we've talked about a bunch of guys right behind him. We are on the longest golf course on the whole tour, but I don't think you have to have massive tee shots to win this week. I think it's all about hitting fairways and playing in these crosswinds. Okay. Right, Elk, thank you so much, and we will see what kind of drama unfolds at Kiowa Island. Play Money Grabber on the SG Tour. Instead of strokes, it's all about the cash. You pick a team of four players, one from each tier, and scoring is based on the money that your team wins. Your guys missed the cut? No problem, you're still in the game. The SG Tour Golf Gaming App, available on iOS in the App Store. 
Well, this week we are onto the dark horses. Why are you laughing? Uh, Jay Kaplan is back from his trip to Hawaii. Elk and I have had a lot of fun at your expense over the past few weeks because, well, you didn't really tell us when you were leaving. So we were waiting for you to come on the show and then found out you were on a plane halfway across the Pacific. <laughs> Diane, when I got your message, I was somewhere over the, the North Pacific Ocean and the last thing that was on my mind was you. Okay, that's fine. I get it. We actually did okay with our dark horse picks as well. But the master is back just in time for the second major of the year. So, Jay, you have to start with a vengeance here, I guess, and uh, give us your first dark horse pick. Well, I've had a lot of time to think about this. And one of the reasons I went to Hawaii was to clear my mojo. I feel like I was on this sort of downward slide and what a better way to go um, meet the gods of Hawaii than to climb mountains like I was doing and put my feet in the world's most luxurious waters. And now I've got clarity, Diane, and what a time to return for the PGA Championship. And this is one of those events every year that seems like it's open to anybody, despite the length that Elk was talking about. It just always seems there's a name that kind of hovers near the top, and we've seen it in the past. And so this week, I really feel like a dark horse can not just perform well, but might be able to win it. And I've got two guys for you that have had tremendous seasons, and I think they're going to continue their momentum. And the first one is a guy that everybody loves, and at one point, he had the most Hawaiian look of all time. That's my big hint. He used to have this long, scraggly, blonde hair, very surfer look, like you'd run into him on the North Shore and see him in the Bonsai Pipeline. But he's most known for the way he navigates the PGA Tours uh, beautiful layouts, and especially in a major, I think this year, he's done a great job. He is currently sitting 31st in the FedEx Cup ranking, so we know he's played well. He uh, has adopted home course in Texas. He finished second. He usually wins that event. Hint, hint. Um, what I liked about him was when we spit out our chart this week, Diane, he was at the very tip top of the chart. Now we reworked some things and we put our top 10 in and we're happy with what we've got. But I will say this guy was green across the board, driving distance, greens and regulation, scrambling, putting average and par four efficiency. He's going to be there. He's going to survive Thursday. He's going to be around Friday. He'll be near the top on Saturday and then Sunday. Who knows? That was a really long intro for my first dark horse. It's Charlie Hoffman. That's the most you've ever spoken on this show in your whole entire life. Um, well, so. I'm re-energized. What can I say? Charlie Hoffman, the, you have given every reason as to why I believe you. And he's 160 to 1. So odds are fantastic and as we always say for dark horse picks maybe not as an outright winner but if you would like him in your top 10 or you know to finish better against another person you know there's so many ways that you can look at it but Hoffman at 160 to 1 I like it thank you okay. right who's your next guy my next guy feels very similar to my first guy 
he's having a career year. This is a guy in his 40s that's been around for a long time. He had won on tour, but he's got such a common name and he ha- doesn't really do anything flashy that you just kind of are like, who is this guy and where did he come from? He's in his 40s, so we know he's been out there for a long time. He's currently ranked 24th on the FedEx uh, Cup rankings, and he's actually won this year. He won the Honda Classic, so that should be a dead giveaway. The one thing I love about this guy is where he's from. He's Australian, which automatically means he's going to be an expert wind player, and he's going to have to navigate those winds that blow across the Kiwa Island this weekend. Um, I said weekend because I plan on him playing four rounds of really, really good golf. What's going to happen, Diane, when the final two come down the stretch Sunday and it's Charlie Hoffman and my dark horse pick number two, Matt Jones, the Australian. You're, yeah, yeah, 175 to one. Yeah, yeah I don't think you're sold on it, but I understand. <laughs> I'll give you that. Right. Well, my dark horse pick has great knowledge of Kiowa Island in that he played in the 2012 PGA Championship here and ended up finishing in a tie for third. Final round 69. He played great. He went on a birdie tear. Um, on the to kick off his Sunday fell away a little bit towards the end but I mean it was Rory's tournament by eight so that was fine he's playing really good it's almost like um, the resurgence of Ian Poulter I think that we probably started to see it um, you know not it's not like he was playing terrible golf, but he just started to climb up leaderboards more and more and more over the past couple of weeks. The Dell Technologies match play, he definitely found some form that week and it's continued. He is third on the whole PGA Tour for scrambling. So the fact that he's performed well on this course before, that he's got this kind of like uplift in his game and the inside knowledge he just got a puppy and you know how much I love dogs and puppies he got a little cavapoo called Ryder and after Ryder Cup obviously so Ian Poulter is just loving life he's been having fun on social media as always um so I think that we know that he loves a big stage. He loves to perform. So Ian Poulter is my dark horse pick at 200 to one. That dog's going to need you to hit because uh, if that's the reason you're picking a dark horse, uh, I'm going to steer clear. In fact, I feel like I saw Poulter in Hawaii driving a Lambo last week, but maybe that was somebody. (laughs) (laughs) There were a lot of guys uh, that I saw maybe look like him. Yeah, I just think, you know, Ian Poulter, again, we're talking about guys that are in their 40s, been playing on the PGA Tour for a long time now. And I don't know, I just think that what a great story it would be for him at this stage in his career to go and do well, even win a major on a course like this. Um, You know me, I love the story and I think it would be a great one for Poulter. Do you want to throw in just a a name as we're leaving this segment that you picked first that maybe like, and Hey, don't remember, look out for who was it? Cause you kind of got talked out of it. (laughs) Cameron Shingali. I did get talked out of it. He also played in the PGA championship in 2012. He made the cut and then finished dead last, but that's fine. Whatever. Again, you know, he's played the course and he's playing solid golf right now. 
miscut in his last event but before that a third place finish and a ninth place finish and we've seen a lot of that from him this season hot start elk said that these guys have to get off to a good start and i feel like tringali is very good at that so i don't know just maybe a first round pick throwing it out there <laughs> play with your gut instinct yes Oh, right. Thank you so much for watching our show this week. PGA Championship at the Ocean Course, Kiowa Island, second major of the year. Um, Elk's drawings, by the way, and he is a past PGA champion. He get, He's very modest and he gets really embarrassed if we make too big a fuss over this. But extra attention going into the drawings this week. He told me he's using five different coloured pen pencil crayon things and uh, a lot of detail we will be giving them away and we will launch details of that giveaway on all of our secret golf social media but next week it's the charles schwab challenge at colonial so back to texas next week and we will give you our tour report then sports social podcast network